Hello, Damon. Hello, Jeremy. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? Good, good. It is suddenly summer here, and I saw my first inner tuber yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have inner tubers in your neck of the woods, but here in Montana, we're kind of lousy with rivers. It's really warm. And you can't do a lot of normal stuff like go inside a restaurant or go to a concert or have a potluck or even go to the farmer's market in a normal way. And something you still can do at a pretty good social distance is float down the river in an inflated tire tube. Is this something you have ever done? Do you know this genre of sport I have floated uh, many a river in my day. Awesome. So I wanted to talk to you about inner tube philosophy because the inner tube that I saw reminded me of several kind of heady conclusions I have come to in my river tubing experience. And I guess the first is about control. So you plop your butt down on this piece of rubber inflated in air with air with a hole in the middle for your butt and you float down the river and control is i guess illusory (laughs) you spend a lot of time adjusting kind of like i want to face forward or i want to paddle over and be closer to my my friends and my family i'm floating with but for the most part, you are really going with the flow. And even these pretty minor adjustments take a lot of effort. And I guess I'm wondering if that's like a good thing (laughs) uh, or a bad thing as a larger practice. You know, going through life, going with the flow, obviously it's something we extol, but also loss of control, lack of control is terrifying. And it kind of gets bigger and bigger because it makes me think, gosh, is everything I do, even my biggest steps, pretty much these little doggy paddles that might turn me for a few seconds before I get spun back or these desperate paddles to get closer to someone, but then we'll get distanced again just because they happen to be slightly differently inflated or a side current takes them in a different way. And it makes me wonder just, do we have control in our life, you know, we do things, but are we really on a tube that is floating down a larger river and where we got in, where we get out, where it takes us, who we bump into is a lot less within our scope of action than we think. And what we do is like 1% of the experiences we have and the river or just the circumstances we are plopped into is so much more dominant. Hmm. When you say terrifying, it it makes me think about a phrase that probably many people in, I would call myself middle age, have heard when they were younger, which was, you can do or be anything you want in life. All you have to do is work hard and go after it. And I actually always found that to be slightly terrifying. Because if that's true, 
how do you limit number one the possibilities and how do you stay connected and committed to the thing that you're doing and then finally to maybe more circling around what you're probing how do you accept if you went after something that you were told you could be with hard work how do you accept if that doesn't come to fruition and fast forward to my current occupation i would say i use this more when i'm working with teens and kind of young adults but i bring this very imagery into our conversations there's a current that you're riding you have some control to try to steer between the banks but when you attempt to try to go upstream or to exhibit pinpoint precision with every move you inevitably are going to find yourself incapable of doing that and is that your own personal failure or is that the failure to understand the scope of the actual situation so which is it what's the answer <laughs> <laughs> when you think about random and sometimes fleeting and even the things that we've done successfully in life when you think about all the things that had to line up and we had to stick the landing under pressure when it mattered when the influencer was watching i mean it's hard not to think that there are so many forces outside of our control and i'll come back to my first thing can we really do and be anything that we want because to me that's where it all starts if you already consider the destination before you start the journey having no knowledge of what the journey holds it it seems pretty egocentric and short-sighted to think that you have all the required skills to maneuver and to manifest and to overcome to be able to make it to that specific spot that you had set out for yourself so i i think that the current is real I think our dog paddling is probably also true on a lot of levels and maybe I'll just extend it out a little bit farther and say what is it all about is it about getting somewhere I mean it's cliche but what is it all about and if it's about getting somewhere it seems like a race towards the finish is cheating ourselves from enjoying the actual float in the first place and what is the finish too i mean you talk about nailing things you talk about excelling you talk about being recognized and if you fail if you're unseen if you're unrecognized you kind of have the same ending <laughs> which is of course death mm. and i don't mean to get so dark so early in our conversation mm -hmm. but that ride is maybe more equivalent than we think and the path is is quite similar from person to person whether you're famous and quote unquote successful or or the opposite you know i think if you live by your values then you can be successful right now and i and i see this the same way that if we reframe the game or if we play a game inside the game where we are more 
in control of the rules in the sense that if we show up, if we put the effort that we feel represents us, if we sort of stay true to our own value set, if we are capable of not allowing our nervous systems to be hijacked, if we love and stay connected, if we embrace the human experience, then we win. And I, I saw that early in life traveling in predominantly Buddhist countries, where I saw a tremendous amount of contentment from people who seemingly should have felt like they were getting the shaft or that they were on the bottom rung or bottom tier of society. And that's not true here. Here, it's if you're on the bottom rung or the bottom tier, it's either a personal affront that that person was lazy or not skilled, etc., or from that person's perspective, that their elevation was required to heal some of the wounds. And I always found that really fascinating. How is it that this person who's laying on the street can have a smile that looked so content? And I really do believe that what I stumbled on when I was you know, in my mid-20s was that, wow, they're playing a different game. They aren't floating the river to get somewhere in particular. They are within a, a Buddhist philosophy or, or spirituality embracing their karmic path, which changes the way they fundamentally saw themselves. Whereas in our capitalistic system, it's you can be anything you want, you know, rags to riches type stuff. So I sensed a lot more contentment. I felt like, wow, it was eye-opening and liberating to think about that. You just raised two really big questions with that for me. And one is how do you choose between contentment, which I think is lower expectations, and success in the Western sense that you're talking about, which is higher expectations and higher pressure. And I think we usually extol expectations. And at the same time, maybe they're just punishing or even more dire delusional. <laughs> and we're on the path we're on. We're on the tube and we're on the river. And why well, put a fancy hat on that? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but what are we owed and what are we guaranteed? I mean, nothing as far as I'm concerned. And when we have these expectations that seem to be just around the corner or we lose track of our own mortality, that can bring a sense of being and feeling discontented with what situation we're in. So I think coming back to the present moment and understanding that we aren't guaranteed anything more is a real liberation. So I guess that's my first thought on how to mitigate some of that forward thinking and planning to the extent where we're forgetting about now and we're forgetting that there's no guarantee for the next moment, the next day. There's a philosophy, or at least saying, have your second child first. <laughs> and the idea is the second child, parents are a lot more chill they kind of go with the flow more. They are not reading up on everything. They're just trying to be with the situation as it is. And 
I definitely find that even in tubing where I'm fussing, I'm moving around, I'm adjusting, I'm flapping my hands to get in the position I want. I'm moving my hat to get with the sun. And it takes me, you know, maybe two thirds of the way, three quarters of the way, maybe all the way down before I relax, sit into it, lean back and just be in the situation. And it's like, oh, I should have been like this the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) And you're making me think, obviously, that extends to life. Have your second tube trip first or your second hour of tubing first. (laughs) And, you know, that's that's a lot to take in, even just thinking, gosh, how much judgment do I put? How much strictures do I put? How many expectations do I put every day? And then I have these brief moments of being like, oh, yeah, this is kind of nice. If I don't fight it, mm. you know, and that same checklist that you just rattled off, what does it feel like in my body? And that first hour, there's a lot of tension in your body. There's some activation of your limbic system where you're a little bit more heightened and that doesn't feel good. And that's not a good baseline. That's not a good place to perform from, honestly. It's counterintuitive to say, but this is true. We perform our best when we're alert and calm. Alert and calm. Imagine being in the tube, calm but alert. And those things are hard to to reconcile because when you're alert, it, it typically will slide pretty quickly into being hyper alert. And once we're hyper alert, we're on the lookout we're overriding the the normal reaction that we would have and our and our system is a, a little bit more activated which then the snowball effect is is pretty clear physiologically we start to dump cortisol in our system there's more inflammation our heart rate rises our blood pressure goes up our vision narrows our blood goes to the more vital parts on our body and All of those things happen in a subtle way when we are trying to kind of force ourselves to make it right, to make it the way it's supposed to be in in my head. So that last hour of tubing, that second child mentality can be really effective. You can sort of think of this as more in the practice zone where let's just say, for example, you're going to go tubing and you and you, before you started, you said, you know, I'm going to practice trying to just be alert and calm the whole time. Hmm. So now, now what changed? Intention. Intention. Expectation. Yeah. Perception. And I'll make the argument that when we shift our focus towards those things, we actually have more fun. We are in control. Tell me what you mean by in control, because I thought it was the opposite. It's saying I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to be effortful. And I guess that was my second strand, so maybe these are kind of joining. Like, when do you paddle, if ever, and how do you know when the right sort of occasion is to put out effort and try to go, 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 and when to let yourself go into where you're being taken, Mm. if that makes sense? Yeah, it does, and... I mean, I'll use kind of a sports cliche in sports psychology, but it's, you know, trust your stuff. If you have the skills 
which, you know, when you're tubing down a river, you don't really need to amass a lot of skills to be able to successfully float a river. But by trusting your stuff, you're staying alert and calm until there's a need to make a change, to make a move. It, it doesn't mean, alert and calm doesn't mean daydreaming. It doesn't mean that you're not assessing the situation. It, it's the opposite of that. It means you're, you're very aware and attuned to the current, the wind, your surroundings, any rocks that might be in your upcoming 100 yards or so. You're very attuned to those things, but you're calmly attuned. And by being calmly attuned to those things, that is what I mean by control. You're in control of your nervous system. You're in control of the meta or the big picture, and you're allowing yourself to make improvisational moves within that structure. And that in, is, is really a, a good example of the game inside the game. So you've put a fence around what the experience means for you on, on a level where, uh, how do I want to show up? for my float. I want to show up alert and calm. And that doesn't mean that that rock coming at you isn't something you get out of the way of, but you can do it in a way that's more alert and calm. And frankly, when you get around the rock, you can come back to being alert and calm because it's no longer a dangerous moment, for example. So these micro adjustments happen more intentionally and they happen more efficiently when we have sort of set the conditions for how we want to be for the float. You're making me think that the guideline is to be found internally more than externally. And by that, I actually mean like physiologically in my body more than in what a video camera would record of my actions or my demeanor. And so if I am trying really hard, but with an inner calm and enjoyment and attention, then I'm still going with the flow, I think. <laughs> or or it's, it's an effort that is enjoyable or positive or exciting and discovery. And if I'm trying really hard and the strain is because I'm afraid or I'm uncomfortable or I feel like I'm behind or anything else, then that's more punishing. And I don't know if punishing and relaxed are good or bad in some cosmic sense, but certainly experientially. Is there a way we can take our internal temperature to know uh, I'm doing this right, <laughs> whatever mm. we're doing, whether, whether it's chilling or whether it's stressing, you know, you can, if, if it's internal. Yeah. How do I know? Yeah. I, I think you're onto something here. And when we have an internal locus of control, then no matter what happens externally, we feel that we have the capability to respond in a way that matches our values, our intention you know, et cetera. And one way, one simple way is to develop a more sophisticated ability to feel what's happening inside our own body. 
the the phrase for that is interoception where we have more of a sense so just to give you an example and and we'll put this survey in the show notes but there's a pretty robust assessment around measuring our awareness not only of what we feel inside of our body but then how we react after the realization of said feeling so let's say that you are floating the river and you feel a tightness in your shoulders if your interoception is uh, on a lower scale you're not going to notice that your shoulders are tense and they have risen but if they do your nervous system will notice and so your brain now is going to reassess the situation and it's going to say hey this is a little bit more dicey maybe than we thought we need to be more engaged so let's kind of batten down the hatches and put this body into a fight or flight state but if you can cultivate the awareness in realish time you now say to yourself oh wow i just recognize that my shoulders have risen and they're tight and tense now i can relax them i can take a breath i can do a quick body scan and see if there's anything else that i feel and basically by doing that you are training your brain to not take the bait and you're also training your self to allow your body to be a litmus for maybe some deeper sensations that are going on and that is a real skill that i was i was going to say that's so hard i feel like that is the real kung fu I mean, I know like on a computer, I'm in something, I realize I'm hunched and I know I should take a break, but because I'm hunched, I don't want to take a break. I'm like locked in mm. and I'm kind of get attached to being stiff and sore. And I have routines and I have practices to, I mean, I have timers that go off to, I stretch during and I have lunchtime routines that involve stretching and exercise and morning routines and evening routines often, but in the midst of it, in the moment when I'm tight, it's not pleasant, but it's like, I just need to keep going through it. It's sort of the attitude that gets embodied mm -hmm. uh, by that body position. So how do you fold that umbrella? <laughs> mm. Once, well, it's, once it's popped out, it's like, it's raining, it's raining, it's raining. It's like, well, it yeah. isn't. You know, you well, just got to close up, but how do you detense when you're tense? I mean, you have to do the, the foundational work on the front end and you have to buy in. You know, it's a cutesy thing to say, change the game, reframe the game. But your scenario is exactly what it's for and it's what it means. By reframing the game, I realize that when I'm hunched and tense and I notice it, that I am now prioritizing detangling, decoupling, unhooking from and, and allowing my body to create a little bit more of an energetic flow for one to two or three minutes, even when I'm cranking something that feels so important that I need to get this thing done because I've bought into the fact that by doing so, by taking that one to three minute break, not when my timer goes off, because that's telling me when to do it. This is you in real time realizing that it's required. It, 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 it's needed right now. 
by doing so, by actively prioritizing that, I'm living a different life. I've changed something fundamental. It's not that I'm pampering myself. It's that I have bought into the idea that by making these small adjustments, when they they appear into in my awareness, I'm valuing my ability to recognize and listen to what's going on inside of my body. And my body will reward me with, with that by relaxing. And again, we know we perform our best when we're relaxed. And so if I can you know, even use the selfishness card to say, if in during that hunch, if I remember to relax and to take that one to three minutes, whatever it is that I'm going to produce in the next five minutes to a half hour is going to be quantitatively better than if I just, you know, grinded it out or powered through. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the trick that that moment is playing on me because it's saying you have to just finish this and then take the break, just see it through. And what's funny is, you know, at a task level, but even on a thought level, something new is always there to be done. You're never actually finished. And there's this constant illusion that, okay, if I finish this, I can relax. And there are clearly stopping points and things you can check off and say, okay, this is the time I can take my break. But something else keeps coming up. And I know at the end of the day, it can be like, gosh, what didn't I get done can be such a punishing thing too. So Mm -hmm. what you're saying is if you recognize that you're tight get up take the breaths do the stretch look out the window or equivalent and that is part of your real life too and whatever work you do is also going to be faster more productive higher quality as a result Exactly. And what you're doing is you're, you're practicing state management and there are books and books around time management and stress management, but state management is what you're talking about now. It's recognizing what state you're in and managing it and, and understanding that that has a profound effect on how you show up in what you can produce. Aikido, the martial art of Aikido, they have a really powerful practice called centering. And this is something that that I learned in my sports psychology training as well. But instead of holding awareness in our head, we learn and we're trained to bring awareness down to our center. So somewhere roughly around your belly button. And in any activity that you're performing, let's say it's a a sports endeavor, or let's say you're going to be walking into the boardroom to, to, you know, pitch a really important project in the philosophy of Aikido and in sports psychology and in the spirit of this conversation we're having right now, before going into that, that moment, you learn how to drop down, drop your awareness down into your center so that you're literally walking into whatever high performance you know experience that you're in, not 
trapped be between your ears, but from your center. And one activity that I've heard of based on that philosophy as a way to make the point is you have a group of people on one side of a room and their goal is to make it to the other side of the room. That's the, the goal is to get somewhere. And that's what they want to be focused on. And meanwhile, they have a partner, but in this case, their partner is also somewhat of a foil. They're, they're kind of there to get in their way. And you are to sort of recognize what kind of thoughts that you're having and what it's doing to your state as, as your foil is also snapping their fingers somewhere around your forehead. So they're also encouraging you to keep your awareness in your head. So that's round one. You know, round two is try to get there at, at all costs, no matter what. Uh, and the foil is equally, you know, pesky. And then the final round is to drop down into your center and forget about getting there, but really keep your train your attention just on your center so that every step you take, you're really just at your own center. And when I say the foil, the foil is basically putting their arm around chest level and trying to, you know, in, in some capacity, use their own strength to keep you from moving forward. And study after study, experience after experience, the people who drop down into their center and keep them, their focus and their, train their attention on that center, even though they're taking their steps, are significantly more powerful and capable of getting to the other side of the room anyway. Wow. I love this. I haven't heard of this. This is great. So is it ever okay to be grinding or should I have a ironclad rule that if I notice myself tensed up, if I notice myself straining, I should stop and take that break or are there occasions where I should see it through to the finish? It seems ironic to have an ironclad rule about relaxing, but I, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I kind of want even sharper clarity on this. Right. I don't think it's ironclad. I, I think that if you are grinding, I mean, it could be a physical uh, feat that you need to continue to push towards. And in that case, you can grind and be calm at the same time. It's possible. So if you've set your intention and you know, you're know you free soloing El Cap, you know, <laughs> obviously there's no option. But this is more sneaky where it's you're, you're grinding on one hand by trying to finish the task or the project, but you've, you're turning yourself into a pretzel in the midst of it and you don't realize it. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Becoming more aware of that part of your physiology. We have more control over our biology than we think. And when at all possible, we should exercise that control. Unless, as my example stated, there's, you know, some need to continue to press on at all costs. And I think these finish lines are illusions often. I mean, we have the micro task and it's like just five minutes more, but it's a, a string of those, as I said. And then it's like, gosh, I spent all day in a pretzel. And then it's like, gosh, I spent 
the last month in a pretzel. And then it's like, gosh, I, I spent the last five years in this job uh, as a pretzel. And it's usually some kind of breakdown, mental or physical or both, that leads to realizing, gosh, I need to to change how I want to be, including just posturally <laughs> how I want to be, even if I'm going to do some of the same work. That's it. That's absolutely right. And the more time spent in a pretzel, the less you're capable of coming to this conclusion or having some clarity around what you really feel and what's really going on around you. Once we are in that pretzel, everything around us looks different. You notice that when you're stressed, it just seems like even the tasks that typically you don't love, but you can navigate, everything seems harder when you're stressed. And so if you're in a pretzel for five years, I mean, that is going to affect you on a profound level. And it gets harder and harder to understand that it's become your new normal. And, and as you say, usually we don't make changes until pain forces us to. And then we have to do a lot of work just to sort of get back to baseline. And so what I'm suggesting is instead of living in that pretzel type of space and mentality, mindset, physiology, and continuing to tumble and topple, why don't we stay in control in from moment to moment so that there's a relative amount of consistency and that we never get ourselves too caught down in that cavern? Interoception, was that the word? Right, yeah. So yeah, put those antennae up is something I think I'm going to try to do because okay, yes, there are those big pushes where it's like, yeah, spend these five minutes or maybe this all-nighter or even this five-day stretch or five-week stretch, maybe pushing so hard. But if that's the norm, if that's something that's happening multiple times a day on uh, a regular day, then check in with that, check out on that. I mean, I think it's going to happen multiple times a day, every day. Right. I shouldn't I shouldn't set my standards too high, but I think I'm the ratio. Like, should it be I pretzel for three hours and I take a five-minute break? Should it be I pretzel for 20 minutes and I take a five-minute break? Should it be I'm pretty good for 20 minutes and then I pretzel for five minutes? Or I'm pretty good for three hours and then I pretzel for five minutes? I think there's not a right answer is the what I'm getting from you, but... If I have that interoception, I'll at least know what my what my actual lived experience is. Pretty much, yeah. Again, this is definitely personal, but I do like the way you frame that. It's not that we're avoiding being a pretzel at all costs. It's that we're mindfully being a pretzel. And, <laughs> and we're allowing ourselves to an allotted time in that space, in that state. And the other byproduct of cultivating a, a more keen sense of interoception is, as I said already, you're, you're making these adjustments on the fly to allow yourself not to get hijacked. But also, it's sending a deeper signal that is more around self-compassion. And when we when we elect to care about ourselves more, about our genuine health and well-being, 
then that starts to snowball and we start to have more honest conversations with ourselves about how long we can pretzel before it starts to really affect us on a performance level, on a mental health level, on a physiological level. But we're cultivating the conditions to be more self-compassionate. And if you're anything like any other human being in the world, you're pretty hard on yourself. And for us to be able to tack against that is also a really, really important byproduct for cultivating this awareness in the first place. I feel like there's a whole math of shapes. And I don't know what the morphology of an inner tube is compared to a pretzel. They may be equivalent for all I know. But I want to shift back to the river and kind of connect these two. Mm. And that is, you know, I've had this experience and I've just tried it several different ways of being on the tube and doing nothing. And you go slow, you get stuck, you get fast, you bump into rocks, but you get to the same endpoint within a relatively same amount of time. And the trade-off for the lack of control is a pretty deep presence to each particular moment. And a total dropping of kind of judgment of how well you're doing. And then at the other extreme, there's, you know, trading the tube for a kayak and trying to navigate, you know, each particular point and do fancy moves and slide in and out of eddies and ride the edges of, of waves. And I think that's super rewarding too. So, I'm not sure which of those or if any of those is the, the kind of pretzeling, but the, that this isn't feeling good. I want to be in the right position. I'm in the wrong position or I'm in the wrong place. And that kind of paddling, which isn't as effective as kayaking or nearly as relaxing as totally free tubing. I think that's a tough state. And maybe again, with that interoception, it's tuning in to how much am I doing this sort of doggy paddling that isn't actually controlling where I go very much, but is affecting a lot my experience of wherever I am. I, I love that. And I, I feel like the advancement when you're more attuned from an interoception perspective that we, you can use that analogy that you're going from an inner tube to a kayak. You're able to come in and out of eddies you're able to make quicker shifting on the dime because you have more tools. You have more tools. You, you've refined your, your, your vessel. And so really the, I, there is value in doing nothing and, and understanding that on the whole, we probably grip too tight. But there is also, and I think this is where the shift happens into more kind of peak performance where you have literally up-leveled your vessel and you've put a paddle in your hand that has these really, you know, well-crafted oars and your boat is streamlined and it's light and, and it's got some ability to have maybe a fin underneath it. 
And so you can now explore things in a way that you couldn't when you were dog paddling. And to me, that's a really good one. I'm going to use that as a story or as a teaching imagery because that's really what it boils down to. You're upping your game with more tools in the moment to be able to potentially take riskier moves, make riskier decisions with a higher level of confidence, you'll be able to navigate them. And I'm looking at it or imagining looking at it from the highest top level view, the view from space. And either way, the sort of river is the same <laughs> and some dots going from one end of it to the other, whether there's a lot of splashing, whether there's total relaxation, whether there's this deft use of tools and efforts. So it doesn't make it not meaningful or different in your different experiences, but kind of fighting where you are and not embracing whatever you have at hand, it does seem so punishing in the karmic sense that you referenced earlier in the show. It's a really important part of it as well. It's just overall perspective. And this is where I think mindfulness practice comes in handy, where we can split from subject and object see ourselves a little bit more objectively and realize that we are just a dot going down a river. And so I guess I'll come full circle with the phrase that has annoyed me so much about you can be anything that you want. Maybe what it really refers to in a kind of a liberating way is that you can choose to be in any given moment anything you want. And I think that that slight shift in how it's seen is maybe at the end of the day what liberation really does look like and success and freedom that we were all told as young young people was was the aim. And I just think that on the whole, we were told that those freedoms and successes were going to be something external. And in my judgment, that's backwards. It's missing the point. We can be liberated and free internally, and we can choose to be a certain way that, that feels authentic and genuine, whether we're in a kayak or a tube, or whether the rapids are fast or slow, whether they're giant boulders or just a trickling creek. It reminds me, I read a funny thing by a kayaker about going off these giant tall descents, you know, going down a hundred foot waterfalls mm. and how that was so amazing to people in the field. And then a tuber did it. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea was just like, yeah, or you could just fall. And he was like, think about Niagara Falls. Like you go over in a kayak, sure. But like people go over in a barrel and they've done it a hundred years ago. <laughs> so either way you're going down and maybe let go is, is the way to, to grasp <laughs> the true essence of it. <laughs> Float us home. How would you close this conversation and orient our minds or our butts <laughs> if we're in a, in a tube? Where should we get up or we're in a pretzel? Where do we go from here? Yeah, let's. I, I guess I'll turn to the audience right now and and ask you to do a quick scan. Have you been sitting hunched over? 
Are your feet on the ground? Is one leg up, one leg down? Is your position unstable? And let's take a few seconds and think about awareness, where your attention is generally placed. And for most of us, us, that's between our ears. So I just want to ask you to see if you can drop down and just literally feel your awareness, your camera that is, is your compass that helps you navigate. See if you can move that through your face, down your neck, through your chest, down towards your belly and your belly button and just absorb the words I'm saying from a new perspective within your own body. See if you can spend a minute, see if you can remember to practice this exercise and see if you can become more connected to what it is that your body and your bodily sensations are telling you and trust that when you do that, you will still be processing information. You'll still be capable of manufacturing what it is that you need to manufacture. So in essence, trust your stuff. I love it. My belly button is uh, <laughs> the tube right. I've got with me all the time. I guess it makes sense. Uh, we came from a tube and we've got one with us. <laughs> Thank you so much, Damon. Thank you all for listening. And we're excited to see you next time for another episode of Stimulus and Response. Take care, everybody. Thanks, Jeremy. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy N. Smith and produced by Matt Mullins at Black Rooster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts and best ways of being human and being alive. Thank you.